Hi, this is Sarah, and welcome to the Sketchy Folk Podcast. Hello, this is episode four, already somehow, of the Sketchy Folk Podcast. So, today we are going to talk about another street artist who is actually currently working still, which I'm excited about. I debated for quite a while, honestly, as to whether or not I wanted to cover artists who are still alive. Um, Obviously, someone who's still in the middle of their career and everything is still adding to their story. So I don't want to, like, sum it up prematurely um, or anything. But I love the idea of being able to maybe help get the word out about some other cool artists that are actively working. We're, I think we're just going to do it. It should be fun. So, the artist we're going to talk about today is from my favorite city in the United States. Um, he's from, let me rephrase, he is working in New Orleans, Louisiana. New Orleans is just the coolest city. If you've never been there, you absolutely have to go. I got to go in college and then my husband and I went there for our honeymoon and it's just this weird little spot, at least to me, and it's just kind of a place that seems like it should be out of a book or it should be fantasy somehow, like it doesn't seem like a real place. So it's just super cool. I know I'm a nerd, but you should go to New Orleans. So the artist we're talking about today is named Brandon Odoms. And he actually goes by the name B-Mike. He really centers a lot of his work around the concept of being an alchemist. And if you look up the definition, an alchemist is a person who transforms or creates something through a seemingly magical process. And he kind of does that quite a bit with his work. So if you look at his website, one thing I noticed is that the main icon is a crown, who I guess since I just did an episode on um, Jean-Michel Basquiat, It reminded me a lot of him and that motif appearing a lot in his work. So just an interesting, I guess, parallel between the two artists that you can make your own decisions about when you look at it. So yeah, like I said, he's a street artist. He does some really cool mural work. Um, A lot of his stuff has a lot of really powerful messages to it, but it also includes relatively photorealistic elements. So it's really interesting to look at. So now let's get into the story of his life thus far. Brandon Odoms was born as the son of a Marine, which is relevant mostly because he grew up kind of all over the place. Wherever his father was deployed is where he had to go. So he spent some time during his childhood in California, Okinawa, Jacksonville, North Carolina, and New Orleans. So his mother, Belinda, was born in New Orleans. And so after his father retired, that's where they settled. Um, And so that became his official home when he was in about seventh grade. While in New Orleans, his father became a pastor and opened a small church. Edward was raised in a small northern Louisiana town, and he raised his children to understand what he and those around him went through during the Jim Crow era. And so since that was something his father, Edward, had experienced, so something he had experienced in his childhood, he made sure that his children were aware of just how disgusting that was and that became a big part of Brandon's life and his artwork. Brandon's 
father also is credited as giving him the nickname B-Mike, who shortened his first and middle names together, which I think is just adorable. <laughs> it's kind of cute that his, his childhood nickname is now what he's known as in the art community. So when he was a child still, Odoms was known as being relatively serious and thoughtful. Um, he did well in school. He never really acted out. He was a very kind of pensive child. Um, and as far back as second grade, he was practicing art and taking art classes. So this is another example. I think one of the biggest consistencies I see in the life and work of artists is that they really, at some point in their life, dedicate themselves to their craft, whatever it happens to be. So even if you don't decide, hey, this really makes me happy and this is what I want to do till you're 62. As I said, he's a pretty serious and thoughtful kid. Even through to today, he doesn't swear or drink. Um, so he's really well behaved. <laughs> so he's relatively well, relatively known to his teachers and those who knew him growing up as being a very calm and collected kid, basically. So he was raised on the West Bank area. And he said while he was growing up, this is a quote, when anyone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would say I just wanted to get to a point where whatever idea I had, I could make happen, which is maybe something that seems a little silly or a little simple. But honestly, when I think about it, like that's the dream, man. <laughs> Whenever I do encounter that artwork that people always turn around and this isn't one of them, but still when people always turn around and say like, well, my kid could do that. I don't understand why this is so expensive and so on and so forth. Um, to me, the biggest difference is you say your kid could have done that, but your kid didn't do that. <laughs> the artist had the idea, but he actually made it, or she actually made it. That seems like a small line in the sand, but to me it's more of a mountain because the number of people that have these ideas, and I'm one of them, <laughs> has these ideas and then never actually does anything with them is just massive. So... Really, he was saying with that quote, he wants to be an artist, an active artist. Anyway, in high school, one of the many inspirations for him was a quote from an evangelist pastor named T.D. Jakes. I don't know why it took me so much effort to read that. T.D. I was trying to do like J.R. or something. Wow. I had to really process what those letters were. <laughs> T.D. Jakes. And this quote is, If in your thoughts you see something beyond where you are, if you were a dream, a goal, or an aspiration that others would think impossible, you may have to hold it. Sometimes you may have to hide it. And most of the time, you will have to water it as a farmer waters his crops to sustain the life in them. But always remember, they are your fields. So that's yet another kind of baseline for his main goal being just to make things and do things and work hard and really try to put everything he can into his artwork. He attended the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, where he studied visual art. Um, he also took a few film classes there and really fell in love with that medium. And then for college, he attended the University of New Orleans as part of their film department. As a college kid, he started a group called Two Cent. This was a collaborative group that went around attempting to capture um, racially themed information in their community. So he began his career actually as a filmmaker. He created work through Tucent Entertainment LLC um, and he founded that in 2005. I don't know that I mentioned that. He also worked with hip hop artists and directed music videos for them. So he worked with Currency, Juvenile, and Yasin Bey, who I believe is also known as Most Deaf, if I'm reading my notes correctly. 
So while working through his company, he collaborated with other college-age black creative people as well to document the social and political environment around them, especially post-Katrina. In 2005, along with tons of people in New Orleans, he evacuated with his family to Texas. They stayed there for four months, and whenever he returned after that hurricane, he said that he was astonished at the nothingness he saw. Um, he was trying to make artwork, but in his words, there was nothing here. So working through his company, he collaborated with other college-stage black creative people um, to document the social and political environment around them, especially post-Katrina. Their content included satire, it included interviews, um, it gained national attention actually and earned him an NAACP Image Award. He worked with uh, WLAE, he had a part-time job there. This was the city's public access television station, and there he spent hours listening to the opinions and observations of community activists. So that was another huge influence on the way he saw the world, really. At a certain point, he quit his job and he moved to Atlanta. Here, he could explore more visceral subject matter without the pressure of showing his work to his parents, which I totally get. Um, not that I even have visceral work I'm trying to show. I mean, I'm nervous for my mother to even listen to this podcast if she does. So I, I can see wanting to get out a little bit. Um, he spent a lot of time there getting images and whatnot for his music videos and other films. And so his parents were supportive of him doing this, but they still had a lot of questions about what he was doing there and when he was going to go back to school, um, which, you know, you can't blame them for. They're still trying to be helpful. When he did return home, he reformed Tucent and they began documenting the city's recovery. And they kind of came up with a new genre for their um, media. And they called it edutainment, like education, entertainment, edutainment. I thought that was funny. Anyway, they started actually getting requests from all over the city to work with different groups. They worked with youth art camps, they ran a book festival, they ran a book festival, and they recorded protests from those who were trying to recover and just felt really beaten down by the system. Um, especially the protests of black Americans who were working to argue against the unfairness of their communities not being supported in the recovery effort. It's literally what I just said. Okay. Their work continued recording lots of music videos along with this edutainment, but lots of these videos also used flood-ruined homes as a set, or they would work in housing projects that were destroyed by the storm. At one point, while he was in these locations, he came across a large mural of a bird. He says, it really messed up my head. I was like, who did this? How did they do it and why? It was beautiful. I got really interested in street art and these abandoned spaces because it really broke all the rules of art. They can't sell it. No one knows who they are. Um, and that's from an interview in Offbeat magazine. So as Odom's, as Odom's explored these areas, some of his friends and people he met at the time were into graffiti and actually making this street art. Then in 2013, he recorded a video with trombone Shorty Andrews in the Lower Ninth Ward's Florida Avenue housing project, which was built just before Katrina, but which was left uninhabited after the storm. About the same time, he was supposed to record a video with two street artists named Douglas Miles and Thomas Breeze Marcus, in which they were going to create a massive mural, but the project got rained out, unfortunately. So these artists weren't from New Orleans. They were flying there to do this, but um, when it got rained out, they had to fly home and they couldn't take their supplies with them, so they just left them behind. He did his video with um, Shorty, and then he joined a group of friends that were doing graffiti in the project there, and he was able to use those other supplies 
to paint a series of murals and he started depicting black revolutionaries. So these included Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Angela Davis, the Black Panthers, Muhammad Ali, James Baldwin, Gordon Parks, and Jean-Michel Basquiat. The area around his paintings became a central point for other artists to come and contribute their own images and works, layering their history on top of his. So he was able to kind of put down enough in one spot that it became a further gathering place for people to come and add more to the work and it become the story of a big group of people instead of just what one guy was trying to communicate. A man named Sean Cummings, who Odoms had worked with before, helped to sponsor the project, but people's donations helped too. So they actually ended up really filling up this space. Um, technically it was still legal, but they did a ton to it. Um, and people started to find out about this work. People would come, although technically, like I said, it was still legal to be on the property, even just to look around. Odom started requesting that the city open it up as a space for visitors, but his request was denied. Um, he dubbed it hashtag Project B as an ode to its temporal nature. In Offbeat, he said, I don't know how I landed on Project B. A large part of the internal conflict I was going through at the time was that friends and family were saying, you're wasting your time. Why are you wasting all this money on spray paint to go do this in a building that's going to be torn down where no one will see it? I liked the name Project B because it was about the joy I felt in the moment of what it was like to be. So this project was pretty firmly shut down when the Housing Authority of New Orleans shut down the Florida housing development where Odoms had began his work. He moved instead to focus to a dilapidated apartment complex on New Orleans' West Bank where he once again began building a collection of public artwork. The difference, though, was that this time he actually had the owner's permission. So he came to call this Exhibit B, and it grew, which is, that's hilarious. I didn't catch that until I read it out loud. <laughs> so the first was Project B, and the second is Exhibit B, but also, like, it's the second one. The first one was A, this one's B. Anyway. Um, it grew to be the largest single-site public art exhibition in the American South to date. I will say I typed this up in February of 2020, so it's possible that that's inaccurate, but it was pretty massive, so I would be surprised if someone had topped it. Over 40 artists participated, and again, he depicted many of his black role models. They covered buildings. Um, some murals towered five stories in the air, and they also created indoor installations and sculptures. So the subject of most of the work included racial violence, um, which is much of what led to the building's unoccupied state. One painting depicted a protester holding a sign saying, we demand fair housing now. Even though he had the owner's permission here, he was still operating on a bit of a, uh, an ask forgiveness, not permission <laughs> mindset because they hadn't quite acquired any permits yet, but they were just kind of going for it. Exhibit B ended, it kind of culminated in a three-day festival and music exhibition, which included performances by Christian Scott, David Banner, Dead Prez, Eureka Badu, Tank and the Bangas, and Trombone Shorty. Odom spoke about how meaningful it was to see this interaction with the artwork as people came to see it. To him, that was basically the whole point. He didn't want to put something up for people to just 
kind of arbitrarily look at. It became a destination where people would come and think and talk about these issues that were presented in the artwork. In 2016, Odoms began building Studio B. He took over a 36,000 square foot gallery and he dubbed it the final third of the B trilogy. One of the main features of Studio B is Ephemeral Dot Eternal, which is the first solo exhibition from the artist. You can find over a dozen original murals, several installations that fill entire rooms, and reconstructed murals that were salvaged from the Florida housing development before it was demolished in 2014. He again depicts his um, black role models, but he also, for example, had a quartet of portraits of Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and Oscar Grant holding I am a man signs. So those are all people that were fairly recently murdered in acts of police brutality. The I am a man signs were the same signs that were carried by striking Memphis, Tennessee sanitation workers the day Martin Luther King Jr. was shot in 1968. So it took six months, only six months somehow, to put together Studio B and it opened of February 2016. Tons of people flocked to this site. Um, they used social media to spread awareness about it and it, it really got to be insanely popular. Colin Kaepernick, um, the NFL player, you know that one. <laughs> I'm not I'm not the sports person, I try. Um, he is the NFL player that caused all the ruckus by kneeling during the national anthem in his um, form of peaceful protest a couple years ago. Um, he visited after being tipped off by a friend, and he also ended up collaborating with Odoms. Odoms painted a mural of him, and he attended the Know Your Rights Symposium for Black Teens in Atlanta. So more athletes like Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson have also stopped by, um, and it also operates as a community center for young black creatives in the New Orleans area. I am not sure if it is still open. Um, the website, when I looked back in February, said the closing date is to be announced. However, that was pre COVID shut down, so it's very possible that it has since been shuttered. But Odoms is still doing a ton of collaboration and work. Um, he's collaborated with several significant organizations, including the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, the Boys and Girls Club, Amnesty International, Stars, Spotify, OnStar, Red Bull, Cadillac, and Nike. Further, he regularly speaks at public events. He has spoken at several colleges, including Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, Tulane, NC State, and more, um, and he's given lectures at TED and TEDx events. Um, he uses Studio B for mentoring opportunities, where he often acts as an artist, activist, and educator. He stated in an interview from the LA Times and worked for, or in regard to his work as an activist, I think activism is just caring, finding yourself and your community valuable enough to defend it in, against voices and things that don't think it's valuable. So relatively recently, through the first half of 2020, I'm fairly certain, he had a show at Tulane University. He is operating on a consistent string of commissions from around the country. His murals have appeared in Times Square and Palestine. Another quote from Offbeat from B Mike is, artists are here to disturb the peace. In order for there to be order, there has to be a perception of peace. That's how order reaffirms itself. If everything is okay at all times, we don't need to dismantle anything. It's the artist's job to investigate the idea of order and peace. We saw that in post-Katrina New Orleans. You heard mixtapes from rappers and musicians talking about things happening here, while others said the city was bouncing back. I remember there was a PSA, some tourism piece, where John Goodman was saying everything was okay, but the artists were talking about something completely different. As an artist, I'm going to walk you into the space that's a little more than reality. It's truth-telling. That's part of the responsibility.
He also said, I can always articulate what my intentions are, and at its best I can create something where it's impossible to separate the intention from it. That's why I choose to be as direct as possible. So Brandon Odoms, or V-Mike, is a really awesome artist. He works so hard for his community, um, and I think it's really fascinating the way that he's found his artwork to be such a strong voice for his community. So I think an important takeaway from his work so far is to find ways to share your work with the people around you or the people your artwork is meant for. So as much as I love to think we're all unique and we're all interesting, dynamic people, I kind of figure that if there's something I like, there has to be someone else out there that also likes it. And I think we're going to get the most value out of our artwork if we can find those people and share it with them. I also think it's important to pay attention to how he advocates that we really think. Uh, Pay attention to what's going on around you. Think about what you're doing and how to do it better and to try new things. So I think he's a great example of not getting stuck in a rut. He really explored different options. He loved art when he was younger, but then he got into film, and then whenever he was trying to communicate a certain thing with his film, he found another medium that was interesting to him that allowed him to do it a little better. Um, And I think that's a good thing for people to do, not just in artwork even. (laughs) I think a lot of people kind of put their blinders up in life, and they are driving so again, blindly toward one thing. And sometimes that can be good, but other times I think people miss a lot of opportunities because they're not paying attention to what's going on on either side of them too. So B-Mike is awesome. You should look up his artwork, go see a show if and when he has one open. And now you know more about why he is so awesome. The weekly drawing challenge for this week is as follows. Day one is Bayou. Day two is Abandoned. Day three is spray paint, day four is storm, and day five is community. So please follow the Instagram account. I am at Sketchy Folk Podcast. Feel free to tag the account in any drawings you make for the daily challenge or just in general. If you noticed anything I certainly screwed up and want to tell me about it or you have an idea for an artist you'd like me to cover, send me an email at sketchyfolkpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening and I I guess I will sketch you later. Bye.